Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. Steve, the Word of God, the prophet me, and reproof me, convict me, and instruct me to righteousness, that I may become perfect and thoroughly furnished on all good works. You just quoted 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I like to do this because something the Lord put in my heart, and that is he's already given me a series for next month. This is the first time in the history of my ministry that I've known uh, 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 maybe a month or two months ahead of time what I'm going to preach. I know what I'm preaching next month, and um, you know you don't want to miss it. Anybody ever make a mistake? Huh? You don't want to miss next month then, okay? And uh, so, um, and so I know what I'm preaching the week, the month after that. It's the first time in the history of my ministry that I've known these things. And the Lord put it on my heart to ask for some feedback the last Sunday of every month on the particular message. Send me a, uh, an, an email. He said, well, Pastor, can I, can I message you in Facebook? I probably won't see it for three weeks. Uh, can I text you? I might not see that for a couple of weeks either. But if you email me, I'll probably see that right away. And so I asked for some emails and, and, and some comments, and several people gave me some wonderful comments about this message. But one of them uh, that I got here is, whose standards are you living by? This is what God spoke to this individual. Or better yet, whose standards am I living by? Really challenging to ask themselves this question. And I might quote this later on, but Abraham Lincoln, whenever he was asked, uh, confronted by his generals about what was going on with the, with the Civil War at the time, his general said, well, maybe we ought to pray that God be on our side. And Abraham Lincoln said, you know, it doesn't concern me if whether, you know, God is on our side. What concerns me is are we on God's side? Amen. And I believe he was on God's side for the future of this nation. I maybe would say I agree with that. And so at that particular time, Abraham Lincoln had to deal with division that was in the nation, didn't he? And he had, to deal, he had to deal with a certain group of people who had a mindset that slavery was okay and another group of people who said slavery wasn't okay. There was major division going on in the nation at that particular time, and he had to fight for it, didn't he? He had to take an, uh, an unpopular stand with some people. But yet, look at the decision he made. Ultimately, we are a freer country because he took a, he took a stand against the system of that particular day cost him his life. He was assassinated for it. But nevertheless, he chose to say it's not whether if God's, if we're on God's side, it's a matter of, if, it's not a matter, matter if, if God's on our side, it's a matter if we are on God's side. So here in Genesis chapter uh, 1, starting with verse 26, and God said, let us create man in our image and our likeness. And he did. And the, the, the thing to remember about that is this, God created you he created man in the beginning to be just like him, just like God. God wants you to be just like him. He created you in his image, and he wants you to be like him, okay? And so he did, and then God saw that what he had done was, was very good. That word very good is beyond our comprehension of what very good is. It means exceedingly the best. In other words, it means it can't get any better than this. However, if you're living in a place where it can't get any better than this, then every day is a great day, and it just gets better and better and better and better. That's what the Garden of Eden was like for Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve, the name Adam means Adam, which means man. It represents man as an individual, but also, you know, because of one man's sin, sin entered into the world, but because of one man's righteousness, and the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam, you know, righteousness entered in. And so Adam here sometimes can mean you as an individual, or it can also mean us as a society. Where are you? You know, and how and what did God create us to do and what is the purpose of our creation? And so so God spoke to man, he said, Now I'm gonna put you in this beautiful garden. Everything was perfect. You know, I think the, the, the thing that made it perfect was nobody had to touch the thermostat. Everybody was comfortable with the temperature. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that called the perfect environment? Hmm? You know, oh it's too cold in here, oh it's too hot in here, you know. And so anyway, but no, it's a perfect environment. They didn't have to work for the food. You know, they just existed in this very perfect environment. And God said, listen, he said, I want you to, I want you to, you know, keep this garden. What he meant by was guard this garden, keep it this way. I want you, I'm, I'm empowering you to keep it this way. I've done this for you. Now I'm empowering you to keep it this way. All right. And so he said, there's only one rule. Say one rule. Boy, wouldn't that be great if we only had one rule to live by? One rule. You know the Jews have something like 420 laws to live by? Isn't that something? Aren't you glad that we don't have to live by 420 laws? But one rule, and that is do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that day that you do, your eyes will be open. That's what God said. Well, wait a minute. Let, let, let me understand this. What, what, do you, what do you mean your eyes? I thought you were like God. Do you really need your eyes open? Well, we're going we're gonna to find out what that means here in just a moment. So anyway, God said not to, not to touch or not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so lo and behold, chapter 3, and the enemy comes in. He starts talking to them, convinces them that they won't die because God said when you eat this, you'll surely die. You know, he's, oh, you won't die. So what was going on with that dialogue? Well, what was going on in that dialogue was that the enemy was using a different definition of what death was. Okay? God said, you know, you'll die. Surely you, you, you will die. He, in other words, what God was saying, he said, listen, this will ultimately kill the existence of mankind. And the enemy put it right back on him and said, no, you won't, you, you're not going to drop dead just like that. You know, that's, and, and, and besides that, God doesn't want you to be like him anyway. Well, they were already in his likeness and as his image. So sure enough, they ate, the, they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And all of a sudden, they realized that, you know what, they were ashamed. You know, first thing that happens when we don't line up with God's standards and God's will for our lives, we begin to look at our ability and not God's ability. And in comparison to God's ability and our abilities, man, we're ashamed. You know, somebody said, well, what kind of person were you, or what kind of person were you, Pastor, before you, you got saved? I'm ashamed. I'll be honest with you, man. <laughs> you, I wasn't the type of person you wanted to, you know, be friends with. You know, I'm ashamed of the lifestyle I used to live, but thank God for the blood of Jesus. And as I said, you know, last week and then Thursday night, don't drag yourself through the mud, drag yourself through the blood. Amen. I'm not that same person. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. And so I, I, I live by that. And so, but yeah, all of a sudden they, all, they realize that, you know what, uh, man, we're, we're, without God, we're, we're nothing, you know. And they went and hid themselves. And, and so God came and began to look for them and said, where are you? And so this is the question that we're asking ourselves in this particular series. Where are you? 
What standards are you living by? And whose standards are you living by? You know, there's a lot of opinions, but you know what? There's only one opinion that should matter, and that's called the Word of God. Amen? Amen. There should only be one lifestyle that we should live by, and that's called, that's called the Word of God. This is what we should look to for our direction. How should we live? What should we do, you know, in this particular life? And so God said, where are you? Asking this question, where are you? And then they said, well, we're, we're you know, we, we're, we're naked, we're, we were hiding. And he said, who told you that? What are you listening to? See, our opinion and a lot of our mindset is a result of what we've listened to. Hello, somebody. So wh- who, who told you? And then he asked this question, and what have you done? And those are three important questions we need to ask ourselves. Where are we with our walk with God? You know, are we living according to his standards? Or are we going to live according to our own standards, what we think is right? And so when that happened, the Lord said this in Genesis 3.22, Then the Lord said, Behold, man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest we put him... Put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat for live forever. So what, what is God saying? What, what do you mean they're, they're like one of us? No, what he was really saying here is that man, because he sinned, has now decided his own standards. Man said, I'm not going to live according to God's standards. I'm going to decide what standards are good and evil. Well, there's a problem with that. Why is that such a problem? It's because, number one, when you decide to live by your own standards, you limit God. How do you limit God? Well, you say, well, you know what? A good standard would be if I had a job where I made six-digit figure, I had a house that was 2,400 square feet, I had two cars that were paid for, I had retirement, you know, uh, I was able to put my children through college, you know, and all of a sudden we live by that particular standard. And listen, there's nothing wrong with those standards. But what if God wants more for you? Haven't you limited him? You know, one of the things that grieve God was the Bible says in Psalm 78, um, 78, verse 41, and yes, again and again, they tempted God. How? By limiting the Holy One of Israel. They just couldn't believe. Why? Because they had a slave mentality of coming out of Egypt that God would want to give them goodly houses. That God would want to give them. I mean, they, they've been in slavery. They've been in bondage for 400 years. They had a wrong mindset. Their environment caused them to have a wrong mindset when they were living in, in Egypt. Isn't that what happened? They were forced into a wrong mindset, you know, because Egypt is a type and shadow of the world. And so isn't that what the world wants to do, force you into a wrong mindset? That's exactly what the world wants you to do. They, you know, they, they want you to believe that you know, if you're wealthy, you're evil. Because look at all these poor people. Well, listen, I'm not saying it's... it's, it's it, I, I would say, yeah, if you're wealthy, you should be able to give alms and bless other people. But it's not the poor people's fault or should you be a victim because someone's poor because you're wealthy. That's so wrong. Let me say that again with as much compassion as I can. That is so wrong. That is such anti-God standards for our lives. You know, God doesn't have a problem with you being wealthy. Hello, somebody. You know, God, God delights in the prosperity of his servants. Come on, somebody. 
You know, God wants you to be blessed. That's God's plan for your life. The original plan for Adam and Eve was a garden that they didn't even create. Come on, paradise. That's God's plan for your life. And so that's what happens so many times is, you know, when we begin to live by our own standards, we begin to compare even good things for our lives according to a standard that man has set for us and not a standard that God has set for us. Let me just say this one more time. Say, somebody say, say it one more time, Pastor. When man creates your world for you, he will always create it with limitations. But God will create a world for you without limitations. That's why Jesus said, you know, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. How does he do it? Through a mindset, through an attitude, through an opinion, through the environment, through the world system. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you beyond measure. And that word beyond measure means, you know, without measure, abundantly. It's unmeasurable. You know, the Word of God says that he loads you daily. Say daily. Daily with benefits. Not once in a while where he's going, you know, oh, man, I got this big old spit wad of blessings here, and I'm looking for a, oh, gotcha. That's not the way God does it. God wants you blessed, you as an individual, on a daily basis. You know, Vicki and I have children, and you know, we think about them, mm, what, maybe once in a while? You know, we, uh, we're going we're gonna to uh, be uh, with our grandchildren here real soon. And I'll never forget one time, you know, we were talking about seeing the grandchildren. And Jason, our son, said, well, what about me? I said, well, you've already done your job. We don't need you anymore. <laughs> but that's not true. We think about our children every day. Every day we think about our children. You know, are they okay? Is there anything we can do for them? Is there, you know, what can, you know, they're adults, but you know what? We still think about them every day. Well, how much more does God think about you every day? Am I helping somebody this morning? And this is just a review. How about that? So anyway, and so, you know, we have to decide, you know, if we're going to take the limits off by, of God. And the way we do that is begin to say, you know what, I'm going to live by God's standards. In Isaiah 59, 19, so, they, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and from the glory from the rising of the sun. And when the enemy comes in, and I know in your Bible there's a comma after the word flood. It's not true in the, in the original Hebrew. They didn't use commas back then, so it's not there. But uh, so when the enemy comes in, and this is how I like to say it, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against them. See, the enemy has no authority. Jesus said, I've given you all power over the power of the enemy, and by no means shall anything harm you. And I've been thinking about this lately, but there was a time that uh, when Vicki and I were singles directors, and we had a, a regular service for the singles uh, weekly, and uh, for some reason I stayed home, and, and uh, she came home one night, and she was angry. She was ticked. And I was like, what happened? You'll remember. And I said, well, what happened? Well, uh, uh, a lady who had gotten saved, who had been involved in a lot of witchcraft, got mad at my wife, went out of the church, took a hypodermic needle, drew blood from it, and cursed her by spraying blood all over our vehicle. That's pretty sad, isn't it? 
And so she came in, she told me that, and I just laughed. <laughs> she goes, how can you laugh at a moment like this? I said, because curse without cause will not fly. Amen. 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 There is absolutely no harm done to us. Why? Because the enemy has no power. Amen. You know, James 4, 7 says, submit yourself unto God and resist the devil and he shall flee. What does it mean to submit unto God? It means do it his way. You know, how many of you really believe God's smarter than you? Huh? Most of you do. You know? But I think there's some people in our world who think they're smarter than God. In fact, they think they're so smart, they don't think God needs to be in our school system. How's that working out? They think, God, they think they're so smart, we don't need prayer in public arena anymore. How's that working out? And it's not working out very well, isn't it? You know? And so we need to ask ourselves, are we living according to his standards? And when we do, you know what? God raises his standards against the enemy. Isn't that wonderful? Well, one of the, stand, one of the laws that we have now is this. There's only two commandments that Jesus said. At the beginning, there was one. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, that's taken care of. You know, they, they kind of, that's been kind of blown. And so when somebody came to Jesus and said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said this in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, if you do this, you fulfill everything, really. Okay, so it's not going to be hard to love your neighbor if you love God. Well, you know, what if my neighbor is, you know, kind of ornery and, and, you know, uh, and, and difficult, you know. Well, God will help you, you know. I want to do it God's way, even though it's difficult sometimes to love dif- undi- um, even though it's difficult sometimes to love difficult people, I still want to do it God's way. You know, you're, uh, uh, it's been almost a year now, but I was talking to the Lord about somebody who, you know, said something about me that wasn't right or wasn't true. I can't remember exactly what it was. But anyway, I was like, Lord, what are you going to do about them? And the Lord spoke to me and said, you know what's important? What's important is you do what's right. You know, let God deal with them. How many of you have children? Hmm? And you've corrected one child and another child got involved. Uh, that doesn't work very well. You know, do your children have a committee and decide what kind of punishment you ought to give the one child who needs discipline? You know, it doesn't work that way, does it? You know, let God deal with it, you know? And that's part of trusting God. That's part of taking the limits all. That's part of, uh, of doing it God's way. You know, one day I was kind of fuming and fussing a little bit. You know, Vicky's like, what's wrong? I don't know why those people got away with what they got away with. She said, well, you never know if they've already asked God to forgive them. So I said, if I wanted your opinion, I'll ask. <laughs> anyway. But no, it's true. You never know. You know, maybe they never came and asked me to forgive them, but you know what? We don't know. Let God deal with them. Am I doing okay this morning? So love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we went over certain areas, uh, you know, of where are we in our life? You know, what is your mindset? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Do we have the mindset? And are we living according to God's standards? Are we living according to our opinion of what God's standards are? Does our environment, the people we choose to associate with and spend time with, do they encourage uh, us to live according to God's standards? Or do they discourage us to live according to God's standards? 
Do we support people who cause division? Or are we, part of the, are we part of the answer or are we part of the problem? What are we letting into our ear gates and our eye gates? What are we predominantly listening to? What are we predominantly meditating on and what are we predominantly thinking about? Are we giving according to God's standards? And we talked about four types of giving. There's tithes, there's offerings, there's first fruits, there's alms. You know, are we giving according to God's standards? Are, are we being, now this is where I'm going to go today, are we being the salt and light of the world? Have you found Matthew chapter 5? Well, let's read some scriptures here and just see what the Lord would say to us this morning. Here in Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1, now I'm going to skip over some of this, okay? So Jesus began to teach a little bit about the Beatitudes, or in other words, he was saying, this is what our attitude should be like. This is what our mindset should be like, okay? This is, this, these are the Beatitudes, okay? But then here in verse 11, it says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Boy, that's a real fun scripture to stand on, isn't it? I'm so blessed, I must be blessed, you know, because people are saying some negative things about me. Some people are, are spreading some rumors about me. Some people are trying to betray me. Some people are trying to stop my promotion. Some people are trying to stop my business. Some people are trying, you know, I'm, I'm just so blessed. Most of us have a hard time saying something like that when it happens, doesn't it? But God said, you know what, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Do what? This is God's standard. Rejoice. Rejoice and being seen glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. In other words, you know what? When you begin to take God's standards and live according to God's standards, there's probably going to be some resistance. You know, and the enemy is not going to just show up with a tail between his legs and a, and, 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 and a pitchfork in his hand and say, I'm here to resist you. No, the enemy is usually probably going to use someone else in this world, maybe someone close to you, can even be a brother or a sister in the body of Christ unknowingly given into it to try to resist you. That's the way he works. He, he, he uses people to come against you with. And so, so many times we begin to, you know, point at the person, but the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, weaknesses, and, and, and high places. You know, in other words, you know, that person might be yielding to the enemy, but, you know, bless their heart, sometimes may they, may, they may not know better. And reading the book of Jonah, one of the things that God said in the very last uh, verse of the book of Jonah, chapter 4, he said, you know what, Jonah? Listen, they didn't know their right and from their left. So if I wanted to show mercy, I'll show mercy. You know, let God show mercy. Hmm? Let's live according to his standards. Am I helping somebody today? And so he goes on and says, you are the salt of the earth. Did you know that because you are a child of God, that you have The ability to preserve what's going on in this world. You've been empowered to preserve. You've been empowered. Just like Adam was empowered to keep the garden, you have been empowered to preserve this nation. He didn't say, oh, well, maybe some of you are. No, he said, you are. You are the salt of this earth. You are here to bring preservation now, I, I did a study on this and, and uh, found out that years ago that this man uh, uh, discovered this salt mine, 
And he went and dug all this salt out, and he hoarded it up in these barns. And about, I don't know how many years later it was, but the salt was not worth anything because he didn't store it right. And what happened is that once the salt came in contact with the earth, it began to dilute its potential. And that's what happens with us is when we come in contact with the world system too much, it begins to dilute our potential. And he went and say, and if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? You know, other words, you know, for those who like to salt their food and pepper their food and, and put seasoning on your food, you do it because it enhances the flavor. So your walk with Christ enhances the glory of God. And this is what he's trying to say here. It is not, if it loses its season, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, but that it shall give, give light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, and let they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So how do you become salty? How do you let your light shine? Well, your good works and supporting the good works of others. Now go with me to Romans chapter 1. And the beginning of, uh, again, the beginning of all this is ask yourself, where are you? What are your standards? Are there certain standards according to God's word that you're not really allowing to be a part of your life? Where are you? You know, that's not for me to answer. That's between you and the Lord. You know God knows your heart more than you know your own heart. That's why I appreciated that one comment, you know, hey, I'm asking myself, am I really living according to God's standards? I want to live according to God's standards, because when you live according to his standards, you'll have his results. Let me say that one more time. If you live according to his standards, you will have his results. Verse 16, this is the beginning of, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So we are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, because they but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise... They became fools. And they changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Sounds like to me that they set their own standards. And the birds and the four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God has given them, uh, gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. 
Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever? Amen. For this reason God gave them, gave them up to vile passions. For even the women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men leave the natural use of a woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. And that means that they didn't see anything wrong with what they were doing or how they believed. To do things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedience of parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteousness, righteous judgment of God, they, those that practice such things, are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those things who practice them. Approve. So if we don't take a stand against that which is unrighteousness, then we're approving, aren't we? You know, recently we had a Supreme Court justice who was appointed on the bench, and she was asked this question. What's the definition of a woman? And she said she wasn't qualified to answer that question. How many women in the house you don't know you're a woman? You don't know how to answer that question? You said, how did this ever get into our Supreme Court justice? Because our society voted it in. We voted for a president who put somebody on the Supreme Court justice who doesn't know how to define what a woman is. Hmm, where are your standards? Did you know your vote approves of that person's position politically? The other day I heard a commercial, and it was, this particular medicine will harm the unborn. Oh, you're concerned about harming the unborn? You mean medically speaking and by law, you have to tell us that the side effects of this particular medicine can hurt the unborn? But yet some people in the medical field says when you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby inside you? Somebody help me with the hypocrisy that we're seeing here. The reason why abortion is legal is because of the people we voted in that appointed the Supreme Court justice. That's why abortion is legal. As a Christian, we should not agree with abortion. As a Christian, we should not agree with the homosexual lifestyle. Amen. As a Christian, we should not agree with the transgender lifestyle. Amen. There's a lot of things out there the world says is okay. And then they condemn us. Where's your tolerance at? And my question is, my standard's the Word of God. It's like the young man who came and wanted to challenge me about my stand with Israel. And the first thing I said to him, my standards according to the word of God, where do you get your standards from? Argument over. What are you living by? Who are you living by? What standards are you living by? What mindset do you have? 
What causes you to think the way you think? Because the Word of God says that the Word of God will renew our minds. Amen? Amen. So, are you voting biblically or are you voting according to world standards? Well, this is the result of it. But I believe with my whole heart when Roe versus Wade is overturned, it's going to be the beginning of a great revival in our nation. Our vote counts. Aren't you the salt of this world? Shouldn't your light shine? Shouldn't you ask yourself when you go to the voting booth, who am I approving and what am I approving? I believe we should. I believe it's the right of every Christian to vote righteously. Now, there was a time in my life I didn't believe this way. There was a time in my life I didn't care. There was a time in my life that somebody said, you know, separation of church and state. Yeah, I well, okay, yeah. I, I, I went with all that to come to me. But as I began to study the Word of God, revelation started to come to me. And our four founders who were taught in a one-room schoolhouse, and the Bible was their main text, created a constitution that had three branches. Is it a coincidence that we serve a God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they have three branches of government in our constitution? I don't think that's a coincidence. I believe that they developed this constitution by the Spirit of God in accordance to the Word of God. In fact, God spoke to Moses and said, you have people amongst yourself to elect people of good reputation, people who will validate the Word, follow after God, to represent the people. What's our constitution? We're a republic. And so we're to represent and vote for people who are of good reputation. Godly values, not ungodly values. Well, I told you I was going to make you squirm, but it makes me squirm too. You know why a lot of Christians aren't voting righteously? Because there's a lot of people in the pulpit who don't have the intestinal fortitude to teach the truth. Well, I'm not coming back, Pastor. Well, I hope you do come back and hear more truth and let the Word of God wash, renew your mind, and challenge you to say, what standards are you living by? Where are you when it comes to what's best for our nation. You know, the interesting thing about what happened was after God created man, he rested on the seventh day. But then after man missed it, God went back to work. And I'm here to tell you, his seventh day is just right around the corner. He's about ready to rest again. And the Bible says he's coming back for a glorious church. A church without spot or wrinkle. But Jesus said this, before it happens, I'm going to separate the goats from the sheep. 
You know, I want to be, bah, I want to be a sheep. I want to be a follower of my shepherd. I want to trust his standards. I want to graze in the pastures that he puts me in. I want him to lead me beside still waters and green pastures. I want him to quiet my soul. I'm looking to him, the author and the finisher of my faith. And I've decided to make my standards his standards. So as I said earlier, one of the things that happened when Abraham Lincoln was asked or told about the Civil War, very divisive. Folks, our nation's in division. We're having a spiritual civil war going on right now. We are. It's just so true. But it's not as we want God on our side. The question is, are we on God's side? And as Vicky's been saying so much, she's been really just staying in the book of Jeremiah. I've been reading through the Old Testament again. Every time righteous leadership takes the throne, Israel prospered. We're, we're a type of shadow of that, aren't we? Aren't we a type and shadow of that? When righteousness prevails, you know, we do so much better. During, during the uh, administration of Thomas Jefferson, they were having a major recession go on. And so Thomas Jefferson, he got all the wise men out, brought them all, the university professors. No, that's not what he did. Thomas Jefferson brought all the preachers to the White House and said, gentlemen, we need revival. We need revival. We, our nation has gotten deplorable. We have allowed some things in. I don't know what deplorable was during Thomas Jefferson's time, you know. But you know what? He said, go out and preach the word of God. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson used our tax dollars to send missionaries to the Indian? So where is this author of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence when he said separation of state and church? What is that? That is saying, you know what? As a nation, we will never tell you that we have a religion for our nation. We'll never tell you that. King of England, they decided that, you know, um, I forget the name of the church now. <laughs> Anglinton Church was their church. Israel, they have a state religion. Now, Israel does allow other people of other religions to worship there. You know, most of your Arab nations, they have one religion. Only one. You know, and if you have any other religion, they'll kill you. You know, but we don't have a state religion. That's what that means. Separation of state and church. In other words, the government is not here to tell you what religion to live by. But it doesn't mean that we who are religious can't tell the government what standards we want them to guide our nation by. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.